I grew up learning to ignore bad behavior, which impacted my life as a woman in my romantic relationships and in my friendships. I ignored bad behavior because that's what I grew up doing as a kid because I had to I had to go to school. I had to function. Hello and welcome to the Authentic Wednesday podcast. Each week, my guests and I share our vulnerable behind the scenes stories of giving ourselves permission to take off our masks, let go of our expectations and embrace our own path of freedom and authentic connection. I'm your host, Bianca Hughes, a lover of authenticity and a licensed professional counselor in Georgia. Hello and welcome to the Authentic Wednesday podcast. So glad that you are here. This is episode 40 of the Authentic Wednesday podcast. I want you all to know that this episode has a very sensitive topic of childhood sexual abuse. For that reason, if you feel this is going to be too much, please stop the podcast at this point. Another thing, if you are listening to this podcast and you feel like you are triggered, i.e. you are feeling more anxious, you're getting tense, you're sweating, your head is hurting you, please stop the podcast. It probably means you are triggered in some sort of way. If you want to come back to it, please do. If it's too much, you don't have to come back. So I just want you guys to know that to make sure that you are taking care of yourself. My guest on the podcast today is being so courageous and sharing her story of childhood sexual abuse, and I'm so thankful that she is on the podcast. Faith Joyner is a relational trauma counselor dedicated to helping women understand their power to create and maintain thriving relationships by redefining love on their terms. She is an advocate for building healthy relationships and using her personal experience and personal knowledge of heartbreak to help women cultivate loving and fulfilling relationships with their partner, family, friends, and most importantly, with themselves. She accomplishes this by hosting her podcast, For Love Only, Courageous Conversations, where she and her guests share how to have courageous conversations with the people they love. In her personal time, Faith likes to read and watch suspense movies. She loves the beach and considers herself a speech snob. Her favorite quote is from the courageous Nina Simone. You've got to learn to leave the table when love's no longer being served. So let's go ahead and get into the conversation. So hi, Faith, and welcome to the Authentic Wednesday podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Bianca, for having me. I've been looking forward to collaborating again, so I appreciate you. Yes, we finally got together. (laughs) So as always, I like to ask my guest, what does authenticity mean for you? Authenticity means to me being the same person behind closed doors that you are in front of people like you're the same person in private and in public that's Mm. what authenticity means to me Mm. I love that so have you always been that way the same person behind closed doors and in front of people hell yeah yeah I've always been or I'll say I won't say always so I'll say I guess 90 percent of me have been the same person in public than I am in private 
to the point where it's actually gotten me in trouble. A lot of times, especially when I was in the military, you know, they expect you to behave a certain way. And I'm just like, I'm just like this everywhere. I ain't give a F who you were, what your rank was. That didn't matter to me. You know what I'm saying? So yes, I, for a majority of my life, except for when I couldn't be, and we'll get into that later, I've been the same person in private and in public. What has allowed you to do that? Because a lot of people find that hard. Yeah. I think because I was so miserable at home, I made a conscious choice not to be miserable any other place. So it was really important for me, even when I was younger, to enjoy life. Although, you know, there may have been some things that I shouldn't have done. <laughs> but I was a kid, you know, you do what you do. But yeah, it was just a conscious choice because I was so miserable. I didn't want to be miserable outside of the house. You know what I'm saying? So as a kid inside of the house, there were certain rules. And of course I was being abused. And then, you know, when I would leave outside of my home, I wanted to be happy. And mm. the only way for me to be happy was for me to be myself. You know, because I couldn't be my true self at home. Although I'll take that back. I was myself at home and I got punished for it. Hmm. Yeah, I, I was I was punished for it. So I don't know. I don't know if it's I, to be, that's a very hard question. It's just I want to be happy. I've always been a genuinely happy person. And so that's just a part of my journey of being happy is is being myself. Yeah. It also reminds me of like, um the courageous woman in you, the fighter in you that is like, you're not going to hold me down Mm -hmm. and you're so resilient. And it just kind of reminds me of, because some people will shut down, not um, outside of the home. If they're miserable in home, then they shut down. So it's Uh interesting that you actually said, no, I'm going to use my voice. I'm still going to be me. And that just really speaks to the fighter in you. I didn't, I didn't see it that way, but thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens when you talk to a therapist. You know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That's, I think that's, you're right on point because I had a voice inside of the home, which got me into trouble. Um, and we'll get into that later. And then I got, I had a voice outside of the home. Mm. Um, you're right. And yeah. Mm. Fighter. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about that. What made you miserable inside the home? So I was sexually abused by my biological father from ages five to 16. And on many occasions throughout the years, I did tell my mother. Right. So there's there's me using my voice. Right. So I'm still using my voice. I'm still standing up for myself. I'm still being courageous. But a lot of those times, um, she definitely believed me. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a point of her not believing me. And it wasn't a point of other people that I told in my family, again, me being courageous and speaking up for myself. It, it wasn't like they didn't believe me either. Everybody knew, you know what I'm saying? They just didn't protect me. They didn't help me. And of course, that's when I started uh, protecting the family and, and not you know, telling anybody outside of the home because I didn't want to 
break up my family. I didn't want to, you know, have me and my siblings um, separated because I'm the oldest. And um, I'm the oldest of five. The last, my last, my half brother wasn't living with us as I grew up. But yeah, I, I carried a lot of weight from not wanting to break up the family and not wanting, you know, to be responsible for my father going to prison or my mother being even more poor, you know what I'm saying? Because she depended on him for finances and, and stuff like that. So that's what was going on in my household from, you know, ages five to 16. Wow. That sounds like a heavy load, a heavy burden. What was that like to be abused by a biological father, tell your mother and nothing was done? Is that what happened? Yeah. Um, so I'm not going to get uh, mm-hmm. explicit details because I don't want to trigger uh, mm-hmm your audience too much, but I will say this. So I will tell my mother, my mother will make me confront my father. So she will kind of like, I don't know if y'all ever, <laughs> if, if y'all, you know, had like little boyfriends or girlfriends, whoever, you know, in, in middle school and you find out that your boyfriend talking to another girl, you'd be like, come over here and let me, let me see you know, if this is real, real, yes. you know what I'm saying? You talking to my man, you know, kind of thing. Uh, but that's what she would do to me. It was like, yo, I would go and I would tell her what was going on. I would tell her in private. She would bring him into the room. I would have to say it in front of him, what I said to her. And a lot of things took place. He would blame me. He would say it was my fault or he would say that I'm just trying to Um, get him in trouble because I was in trouble or, you know, he would say that I was trying to get something out of, you know, saying something about him. So it was uh, the best thing that I can describe miserable. It was embarrassing. It was shameful because I did Mm -hmm. that that shame. I did believe that it was my fault. Mm. I did believe that that something was wrong with me as to why he continued to do this. And I believe that something was wrong with me because my mother refused to protect me. There was like a lot of things that happened when she would make me confront him. I mean, fist fights, I ran away. Like it was, it was like a lot of things happened when I used my voice, when I spoke up for myself. And yet like the next day, we would just act like nothing happened. Wow. So I grew up, learning to ignore bad behavior, which impacted my life as a woman in my romantic relationships and in my friendships. I ignored bad behavior because that's what I grew up doing as a kid because I had to, I had to go to school. I had to function, you know what I'm saying? So, but as far as my mental health, it was, (laughs) it was not good. It was not good. I was gaslighted, you know, all, yeah. all my childhood. You know, um, gosh, just to hear that, because, you know, I've heard, and I do know you were um, abused by your father, but I didn't know to the extent in that sense that you told your mom and then you were made to confront, which I'm just going to let everyone knows is re-traumatization. Yep. And then not being believed, so being dismissed by the person who brought you into this world is another form of traumatization, literally trauma on top of trauma, which we call 
complex trauma that you experienced. And unfortunately, you're not alone in that. Right. And there are people who've experienced it and haven't said anything. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really the sad part or are not believed. Was there anyone who believed you or helped you? Well, my mother believed me. Oh, <laughs> she, she knew it was happening. There was plenty of evidence to, to prove that it was happening. And eventually he would admit to it because I wasn't lying. You know what I'm saying? I, I wasn't lying. So she did believe me. I had other family members that I told they did believe me, but no, no one helped me. There was a time where I had skipped school. I can't remember what grade I was in, but I had skipped school and I skipped school with a boy and uh, was just having fun because I just needed to chill. Mm -hmm. Um, I went to a college prep school. There was a lot expected from me at school. There was a lot expected from me at home. I was not allowed to make C's, um, although I did. So if I did make a C, then I would be on punishment for like months. So I'm skipping school with this boy. My mother found out, Bit long story how she found out. It's actually funny, but she found out and came home and she's just going in on me. You know, you acting like a hoe and da 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 and you out in these streets and so forth and so forth. And she just kept calling me a hoe. Like, and I'm just like, like as a 15 year old, I'm just like, who the hell are you talking to? You know what I'm saying? And so it was like, I was like, well, you know what? If I'm a hoe, it's because your husband made me one. You know what I'm saying? Like those are, that's the type of back and forth. That's the type of trauma I continue to live under in that house. And so y'all know, you know, that didn't go over well. She, she clipped off her nails. She. So you want to be grown. So she wanted to fight me like I'm some woman in the street and clipped off her nails like that. You know, so it wasn't just the the sexual abuse. It was the emotional abuse, the the verbal abuse, the, the gaslighting, the making excuses to stay with him, you know, and blaming me for acting out. <laughs> I was I was just acting out because of what was going on with me. And as a kid, I wanted to be normal so bad. And I knew that what was happening to me as I grew up, I knew what was happening to me wasn't normal. So what I would do is I would try to do what all the other kids that were doing that was normal. So Mm -hmm. I would skip school. I would smoke weed. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm trying to be like them because surely they can't be being molested at home by their fathers. Right. So I found ways to help myself. I found coping skills to deal with the helplessness that came along with being abused by a parent. And I am not ashamed of those coping skills. I don't use those coping skills anymore because those coping skills are not needed. I am not in that situation anymore. You know what I'm saying? So I have developed better coping skills for my life and for myself. But no, nobody helped me. I, I had to help myself. Even when it stopped, it was me. I stopped it. She didn't, my mom didn't stop it. I stopped it because I was watching something on the news and I was 16. I just had my 16th birthday and I saw this news clip of someone going to prison who had molested a child. And I'm like, get the out of here. People go to prison for this? <laughs> wow. Go to prison? Yeah. And it was at that moment where I was like, okay, bet. You know, so when it, you know, 
tried to happen again, I just threatened to put him in prison and he, he stopped. I mean, he kept trying, but I kept, you know, again, taking up for myself, defending yeah. myself, using my voice the best way that I, I knew how to at that time. And let me say this. I know I keep saying that I use I, I use my voice and, you know, I was courageous. When you are being traumatized, you do what your brain tells you to do. You fight, flight or freeze. So if there are some of you who were being sexually abused or if you were sexually assaulted by someone and you froze, you, you couldn't move, you couldn't speak, you never told anyone, it is okay. You're just as courageous as I am. Mm-hmm. Your brain told you to freeze to protect your life. And you're here now because you froze. So there is nothing wrong with you. There is nothing cowardly about you. There is nothing weak about you. You had to do what you had to do to survive. And so in my brain did what Bianca told me. <laughs> my brain told me to fight, you know, and that's what I did. Do not listen to this story and think that you're lesser than me or that you're not as courageous as I am just because my brain told me to do something differently than what your brain told you to do. Thank you so much for saying that. I think that's so key because there is this thing, like you said, when you are abused, especially as a child, that's who you see yourself and you really, it really impacts how you see yourself. I'm just a body. I'm just a sexual piece and I'm nothing and it can numb you and it can make you go quiet and people say, well, why did they stay? Why did they allow the abuse to continue? And you you know, people don't really understand the emotional and psychological thing that happens with trauma and with the sexual, sexual abuse. Even with your body, like when you're traumatized, it impacts your nervous system. And so some of us get stuck on, on, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? That's where some of the anxiety uh, come in, you know, because we're you know, depending on the type of trauma, depending on, you know, who we are as human beings and so forth and so forth, like the energy from the trauma gets stuck in our nervous system. And so if you've ever felt stuck, like you're stuck in anxiety, that's because of the trauma. If you've ever felt stuck, like you can't make decisions or, or you're depressed and you feel like you're stuck, that's, that's because of the trauma you've experienced. So trauma impacts our mind and our bodies. And it is not your fault. None of the way that you're thinking, the way that you're behaving, it's not your fault. There's there's nothing wrong with you. It's the trauma. So learn how to heal from the trauma and then you'll see a difference in your life. Yeah. Thank you. So I know one of the things you mentioned was as a result of the trauma and the sexual abuse that you protected the family. How else did it impact you? Did, did this throughout your life impact you? Hmm. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> so I definitely protected my family up until I, I didn't anymore. And we'll get into that later. Um, it impacted my sexual relationship with my husband. Before Jamal and I got married, you know, we were getting it in. And then it was like, when we got married, something switched. And I know, I now know what it was, but at the time I didn't know what it was. So that really impacted me. I did have anxiety issues. Um, I had panic disorder. I had suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder. So I had a lot of mental health issues. 
um, and, and several mental health disorders, actually. And again, none of which was my fault. It was the trauma. So I was hypervigilant. I was on the defense. Mm-hmm. I believed that the world was out to get me. I really believe that. I believe that there was no one who was on my side. So I had to defend myself and I had to do for myself. So I did not know how to ask people for help because I had learned as a kid that when I ask someone for help, bad things happen. Mm-hmm. You know, what else? There were several things that happened. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, I, I got married really early but before my husband. I got married to the guy that I was dating in in high school and he had trauma he had to deal with. I had trauma I had to deal with. And we just, it was not good, honey. (laughs) The best thing that me and him could do was divorce. It was not not working out. We didn't know how to treat each other. We didn't know how to be in a marriage. We didn't know how to communicate. When you're, when you have complex trauma, it's very hard to have a healthy relationship. You know, Sometimes, depending on where you are in your healing journey, you don't even have the capacity to have a healthy relationship. So, yeah, that was that was really difficult. Those those were some things that I dealt with due to the sexual abuse. Mm. And gosh, man, that was a lot. I did. I was about to say, did I say too much? <laughs> no. <laughs> That was a lot. And I'm glad that you actually were able to see it and make that link because and share that because sometimes we're going back to the abuse and it's what's wrong with me. Mm -hmm. What's wrong with me? So you're doing these behaviors and you're doing these things over and over and over again. And you know that it's not good or it's not helpful, but you can't stop. And so it's like, well, what's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. And you don't realize that this is you responding, your body responding and your brain responding yes. to something that happened to you yes. as a child. So I'm so glad that you shared that so people can begin to put together. Yeah. And let me tell you this, Bianca, it wasn't until I got out of shame that I really began to heal from the sexual abuse. I was already on my healing journey by the time, you know, I started working on the sexual abuse, but I would never, on my healing journey, it was just kind of like personal. And it was, it was like, I'm doing something wrong when it comes to men, so I need to chill out. (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't believe that something was wrong with me when it came to men, but I was like, I'm not doing something right. So let me just take a pause, not date for a while and work on myself to, to get to know myself and, and what am I doing when it comes to these romantic relationships. But never did I touch the surface of the sexual abuse because I didn't think the sexual abuse had anything to do with it, number one. And number two, I wasn't ready. Mm. I wasn't ready to deal with that part. So I'm in my master's course. You know, I'm, I'm in class with a, you know, with a group of students and my teacher. And we're talking about, we're doing mock cases based on real cases that my professor had. So one of the mock counseling cases that we did 
was about a mother who had molested her son. And you talk about somebody getting triggered in that classroom. Oh my gosh. So we're, of course, giving feedback. We're doing, we're actually doing the counseling session. You know how it is when you're in your master's course, doing the counseling session. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yes. And you're working on being a therapist in front of all these people. And I was so embarrassed because I was like, well, it's not the mom's fault. Bianca, that whole classroom turned and looked at me. And my professor turned and looked at me. She was like, excuse me? And I was like, well, I mean, he participated too. It's not just her. You know, if it went on for this many years, you know, it wasn't just a mom. It was a son too, you know. And the way everybody looked at me and the way my professor looked at me, was they were in shock, right? Mm-hmm. So my professor came to me and I will never forget this. I will never, ever forget mm. this. This is when, and I had to be, at this time, I had to be 25, 25 or 26. I had started my healing journey when I was 20, never touching sexual abuse. So started the healing journey towards sexual abuse when I was 25, after this moment. So she came to me in front of my desk And she looked at me in my eyes like she wanted to, she wanted me to feel her. (laughs) I can just imagine. Right. You've been in those courses. Like, you know, so she looked at me and she said, let me tell you something. She said that mother had power and control over her son and she used her power and control for her benefit and to hurt her son. That her son had nothing to do with being sexually abused. That was not his fault. You can hear a pin drop in my master's course, right? In my master's course. Mm -hmm. So I guess after that, she was like, we need to take a break. (laughs) We need to take a break. I go into the hallway away from everyone and I call Jamal and Jamal picks up the phone and I burst into tears. So Jamal's thinking he got to come get his wife. He, babe, what's, what's, what's wrong? What's happening? Where you at? Da, 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 da. I'm at school. He was like, what's wrong, baby? What's wrong? And I'm like, it wasn't my fault. Mm. And oh he my was God. like, what are you talking about? And I was like, this, this whole time, I thought it was my fault. And he's like, baby, what are you talking about? And I'm like, with my dad, it, it wasn't my fault. And he said, babe, you, you thought it was your fault? And I'm like, yeah. And I just couldn't stop crying. I couldn't stop crying. So when I went from <laughs> placing the blame on myself to actually placing the blame where it belonged, it was easier for me to work on the abuse. Guilt says I did something wrong. Shame says something's wrong with me. Humiliation says somebody did something to me to hurt me. And it was unwarranted. When I started working on the humiliation that came along with sexual abuse, that's when I started to have breakthrough Mm -hmm. because I wasn't ashamed anymore. I didn't believe that something was defective about me as to why he perpetrated me in that way and why my mother and other family members did not protect me. Mm. 
Wow. That's so powerful. I love how you shared you were in your master's program. So you didn't know everything. Oh, come on. (laughs) You weren't perfect. (laughs) Come on. So I love that. And what I love is that this is so key. And I'm going to say this, this is so key. And this is always a reminder to me as a therapist. Yeah. Everybody is not ready to deal with their stuff. I remember one time crying because a client couldn't accept their abuse. Mm -hmm. And I came off, you know, came from out the session and I cried Mm -hmm. because I also know what it's like to not even realize that, but I cried for them. But, and I had to cry because I had to be okay with them not being ready. Yep. But what I like is that you are on the healing journey, which it is a journey because we're on this journey. And Mm -hmm. because you were already in this space and doing that work, it was like, by the time this hit, now you're beginning to be like, okay. Right. And it falls into place. Yes. For you. It's messy and it's not this. It's not cute. (laughs) No, in your middle of your master's program, like, why is this woman going to counsel people when she doesn't realize that? <laughs> yeah, I would have been a horrible the therapist. Yeah. Yeah. I would yeah. have been a horrible therapist. Yeah. But I'm so glad that you were honest in that because had you been silent, mm-hmm. you would not have got that correction. Mm-hmm. Now, so see how I'm the same behind closed doors <laughs> and in public? Let me tell y'all, like, I'm always going to say something, right? Mm -hmm. And being in, you know, being in your, uh, getting trained as a therapist, like, you're in training because you don't know it all. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm So I'm I'm always asking questions and and opening my training. I love that. I know. Me too. They hate, I was at the front, right at the front, and people arose behind and just like, oh, this girl's always at the front. I was like, yeah, I'm here to learn. Do you know how much money I paid for this? Yes. Yes. I want to get this because I actually want to help people. Yeah. I love it. So I know one of the things that you said, and we talked about being on your healing journey. One of the things I know that you talk about is choosing Mm. healing. Yes. And participating. Come on. In healing. Mm -hmm. And that's what you did. What did you realize was a difference when you actually chose and participated? In your healing. What was the difference between me not choosing and not? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, (laughs) well, let's say this, because some people choose healing and don't participate. That's very true. That's very true. So let me just say this. I, I think there's a false narrative about healing. I think when people think about healing, they think about, you know, you know, some Zen music going on and, um, you know, it's all quiet and peaceful and the yoga poses and stuff like that. And people don't see the, the reality of healing, of you sitting in your therapist's chair, boohoo crying. There's no movie that shows us that. There's no television show no. that shows us that. No. Right. So I think I did not expect for it to be as hard as it was. Um, And the difference was, you know, I became 
I learned how to trust people again. That was, that was one of the main differences. Like before my healing journey, I didn't trust anybody. And then while I was on my healing journey, I had learned to trust people because I had learned that all people aren't bad. Mm. But you know, when you're not on that healing journey, like you just automatically assume if my mama don't care for me, (laughs) if my daddy don't care for me, who does? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So that was one of the the main differences is that I learned that the world wasn't evil. Now there are some evil people in the world. There are some really bad people. Yeah. Um, But the world wasn't a bad place. Let me think of some other things about that was, you said that was different. I learned how to be intimate with my husband. Mm. And when you say intimacy, we're not just talking sexual intimacy. Right, right, right. Not just sexually, but how to open up to him about my needs, how to open up to him about non-sexual touch, you know, mm. and, and sexual touch. There were, there were some things that I needed to explore that was healthy and normal. Because my first sexual experience wasn't normal. It wasn't healthy because I was being abused, you know, hmm. and learning how to work on those triggers. Oh, my gosh. It changed my life because when you get triggered, well, I'll say this. I'll speak for myself. When I was getting triggered and I wasn't on my healing journey, I didn't want to connect with anybody. Mm-hmm. So the trigger made me not want to connect with my husband. But even if I get triggered today. I know how to stay connected to my husband. Wow. In a way that makes me feel safe, you know, because I've taught him how to connect with me, even, even if I get triggered, you know what I'm saying? So Mm -hmm. the biggest difference was me knowing how to connect. I love that. You know, let me tell you something about me and Faith, right? We always like be like low key connected. Like she said something or I say something. I, I was just thinking that. Yes. How about I just wrote a post today to post for this week about you have to be intentional about knowing your traumatic triggers so you can take care of yourself. Yes. I just literally said, and I just talked about, you know, you might not be triggered as much, but you'll still have a trigger and you oh, need yeah. to learn how to do that. See, we always just, we right here. <laughs> we here. <laughs> because what? In my life, I may be triggered. Be, yeah. You know, because that happened for so many years. And just like you said, it was complex trauma. Yeah. I, I'm, I, we're not even talking about all the other stuff mm. that went on in the house that I went through, right? Wow. So I may be trauma for the rest of my life. And, and when kids come into the picture, there may be another layer of me getting triggered, right? So I have to know how not to cut off my husband and not to cut off my children. Because I'm, I'm triggered. You know what I'm saying? That's not fair mm-hmm. to them. Yeah. You know? But I also need to know how to connect with myself and connect with yes. my body and do things that keep me safe and keep me grounded because I matter. Yeah. It's, and um, you matter a lot. <laughs> One of the biggest things I have learned, and I know you talk about this a lot, is so I didn't realize I had been sexually abused kind of like you because I didn't, I wasn't held down or anything like that. I was, I was frightened. And so for years, I didn't realize it until about three years. And it happened when I was like 16. Mm. But one of my responses, like the defensiveness, not trusting people was boundaries. Mm. Like you cross my boundary, like immediate anger, like just, I'm all, 
I'm going all out. And it's something I did naturally, which actually is good in a way because it's a lot easier for me to tell people no than some other people. And I never realized it, but was able to um, trace it back. But I know you speak on this a lot. Yeah. And I would imagine, and I, and I believe, you know, I kind of heard you talk that you had to put boundaries Mm -hmm. on your family. Yes. Ooh, girl. Okay. Oh, I'm going to try not to make this a long story. Okay. <laughs> okay. So as I'm on my healing journey from my, the, the sexual abuse, I realized that I could um, press charges against my family, uh, against my father. Mm-hmm. So in my mid 20s, you know, I'm in the, the state of Florida and in the state of Florida, they had just passed a law to what is it called? Press charges. Yeah. It happened a long time ago. Yeah. I know what you mean. Statue of limitation. Statue of limitations. Right. That's it. Mm-hmm. In Florida, the statue of limitations was non-existent when it came to sexual abuse. And it was a law, a brand new law that they just had. So I pressed charges for what he did to me as a, as a, as a young girl. And he went to prison for what he did to me. And because of that, it separated me from the rest of my family because the rest of my family was on his side, even mm-hmm. though everybody knows that he did it. Right. But nobody wanted him to deal with the consequences of the wreckage that he did, that he put in my life. Wow. Everybody saw it as, oh, you're taking revenge. Right. It's so interesting. I'm going to say this really quick. When, when, if we call the police on someone who's robbing us or who had robbed us or who had stole something from our house or someone who stole our car, we're not seeking revenge then, right? But if we call the police on someone who sexually assaulted us, oh, you're not walking in forgiveness. Mm. You're not, you, you know, you're seeking revenge, you know. Oh, that happened a long time ago. You should, you should be over it, you know. So... They were still on his side. And although they knew that he had did it, I was wrong. In their eyes, I was wrong for holding him accountable for his actions of not only molesting me, but he molested other people too. Wow. Oh, they never have one victim. Trust and believe that. Never have one victim. I will never say who his other victims are. I I believe in you know, survivors coming out to tell their own story. So I I will never publicly say that, but he had other victims. So it was my fault. (laughs) It was, it was my fault. Right. Which was another part of healing that I had to overcome, you know? And so because my mother consistently chose him, I had to choose myself. Mm. It didn't mean that I did not love my mother. It didn't mean that I did not forgive my mother. But it did mean that I had to love myself enough to not allow people in my space who did not love me in the way that I needed to be loved. Mm. And even if that included my mother, then so be it. Mm. If it included my siblings, then so be it. And I was really close to my siblings. Even in me setting those boundaries, there were several times throughout the years that I did try to make things work between me and my mother. Which makes sense. I did try to make things work. But every time she always took me back to how I felt when I was a kid, it was always on me. And then she really didn't want to deal with it because I think she didn't want to go to prison for what she did. And she could have gone to prison. I asked them not to. 
press charges. I did not want to press charges against my mother, but they wanted to press charges against my mother. Because again, I did not share with you all everything that she did to protect a man who was abusing her daughter, right? Mm -hmm. So those are the boundaries that I had to set. And because of that, I don't have a relationship with my mother. I don't have a relationship with my siblings. I don't have a relationship with any of my blood relatives. And that was really hard for me to, mm. to, to deal with the loss of my entire family. Mm-hmm. That took me well over 10 years to cope with. Because within those 10 years, I was still trying. You know what I'm saying? I was trying to make things work. But when you cross my boundary and when I can't be myself, because who you knew as a child, I'm not that person anymore. What you're not going to do is bully me. And I come from a family of bullies. And that's what you're not going to do. So if that's how you want to live, if that's how you think a relationship should go is by you telling me what to do and I just have to abide by it because we're blood, then that's a boundary I have to set for myself. And I can choose to love you from a distance, mm-hmm. which means for me, this is just for what I had to do. We don't talk to each other. We're not Facebook buddies. You, you can't come into my world. Because you coming into my world is toxic for me. Yeah. So my father passed away last year, actually. He passed away. And and Bianca, you'll know this working with clients and, and I work with, you know, clients as well, dealing with trauma. There was a piece of me that really thought, well, maybe mm-hmm. this would be the time where... She chooses me. Yeah, why not? It's your mom, of course. She ain't even here no more, right? (laughs) Girl. Mm. Yeah, so that didn't happen. (laughs) That didn't happen. And so now it's just like, I've made peace with she is who she is. And I choose not to be around someone like that. And yes, she is blood. But for me, she's not family. Yeah. She's not safe. No, she she's not a safe person for me to be with. Yeah. Be around my siblings. I love them. Even if they hear this, I know they're going to be really pissed that I said this, but it is what it is. They're not safe people for me to be around. And I love myself enough to protect my peace, to protect my heart, to protect my body, to protect Mm -hmm. my mind Mm -hmm. and to protect my energy. And the energy that they give is toxic. And I'm, I'm sorry, I can't be around that. Yeah. And um, and people will push you to do that, to be around them and, and to forgive them and, 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 and still be in that. But forget that you die on the inside mm-hmm. when you're in those toxic environments and unsafe environments. You die on the inside and you get sick and all these things start happening to you and you start wondering why. Right. And it makes total sense that and is not unusual for you to still want your mom because that's still your mom you know I always talk to people about that that well why would I still want my mom or my dad after I did this and that there's just this bond with the parents that is so Mm -hmm. different Mm -hmm. from anyone else Mm -hmm. and even if you missed your mom or missed your siblings you know I always tell people that's normal like you're still yes you've put these boundaries you're still human but just because you miss them it doesn't mean you have to go back it just means you're human. Yep. So I love that. Wow. And people take for granted that in any abusive relationship, there were good times. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Because some have great personalities. They have bad character, 
but they have great personalities, mm-hmm. right? So they're fun, you know, they're funny, they're humorous, you know what I'm saying? So me and my family, we we had a great time, but the deeper stuff was was horrible. Yeah. And I don't want to live that life anymore. Yeah. Because authenticity means to me being the same person in private that you are in public. And with my family, I can't, I can't be authentic. Mm. What made you just my last question, just to before we wrap up, what made you decide to share? Take that mask off and share your story. When? Uh, of your sexual abuse. Like whenever you start oh. sharing it with the world and telling people what happened to you. After I dealt with the shame, again, I realized it wasn't my fault. Mm. And what I wanted to do was to help others realize it's not your fault. Mm. And I wanted other survivors to experience the joy, the sun, the, the lightheartedness, the, um, the relationships that I had. That's what made me want to share is my own healing journey because I, I called myself, I was the walking dead. Mm. Yeah, I was functional in the in sense of I had degrees. I had, a, I had a good military career. You know what I'm saying? I, I won a lot of awards. Yeah, I was functional. I was married. I was functional. But in a lot of spaces in my heart, I was, I was dead. Mm. Thank you. And I love that because I read your website. Great update to your website, by the way. And you constantly said, which I deal with this with the perfectionism, and I love this, is you talk about it doesn't matter about all of the degrees that you had, um, the accomplishments that you have. If you are not healing, if you're not whole inside, all those things don't mean anything because they don't represent your healing. They represent what they are, your accomplishments. Um, And I love what someone said, which you said, faith makes you fall in love with yourself again. Yes. And, but here's the thing. The reason why I know you're able to do that because you say this, which I love, teach what you practice. Yes. And I know that the only way you can help other people fall in love with themselves again is because you fell in love with yourself again. Bianca, don't have me crying. Don't have me crying up in here. You know, you can cry on here, you know. (laughs) Yes. I am in love with myself. I love me some me, boo-boo. Gotta believe it. Yeah, yeah. And I want to be surrounded by people who love themselves too. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah, (laughs) I love it. So what do you want? I know you said a lot, so probably if everything that you said is what you want people to know, but is there anything you want our listeners to take away? Starting your healing journey is going to feel scary. And you're going to think that if I open up this box, there's going to be a hole that I can't, I'm going to fall into a hole that I can't dig out of. And I want you to know that you can dig out of that hole. You have enough in you. You have enough courage. You have enough heart. You have enough love in you to dig out of that hole. But you can't do it alone. We hurt in relationships and we heal in relationships. So I want you to think about who's on your healing journey with you 
whether it's your therapist, whether it's your spouse, whether it's good friends, uh, trusted friends, safe friends, safe family members, but you can't heal on an island by yourself. So I highly recommend that you start with a therapist or a trauma recovery coach, um, someone like that to start your healing journey with. And the times that you feel like, you know, you're in this hole and you can't get out, your therapist will be able to help you process that and and help you see the light. Mm -hmm. And as long as you're a participant in your healing, then you can do and be and see anything you want. Like the, the sky is the limit. Like the sky's the limit. Like mm, it, I love that. It's gonna it's, it's gonna be beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Are there any resources related to the topic that we talked about today that you want to share? That if someone's like, okay, of course, get a therapist, but just if there's any other thing that people may use. You know what? I also think, you know, of course, getting a therapist, but I think people take for granted group therapy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, my favorite is actually group therapy. Yo, the power. Ooh, the power in group therapy. And see, we don't want to go to group therapy because we think we're the only one dealing with what we're dealing with. We think we're the only one who's, you know, who was hypersexual or who was depressed or who smoked weed or who did dope or who had an alcohol problem or, you know what I'm saying? We're thinking we're the only one because you're stuck in that shame. And especially with what's going on in the world today, I highly recommend that you find a group that can support you, whether that's an online Facebook group. I don't know if Bianca, if you have any courses or uh, anything coming up, not me. I do know some people, someone else has something coming up, which actually will go in time with, with when this episode comes out. So, yeah. So yeah, I, you know, it, there's power in knowing that someone else have experience and know exactly what you're going through. Mm-hmm. So if you, you know, don't want to deal with the individual therapy or you, you feel like you can't deal with, or you believe that you can't deal with the individual therapy, definitely find a group that you can be a part of. So you can know that there ain't nothing wrong with you. You're not crazy. You're not weak. You know what I'm saying? So find a a good group that you can belong to, a good tribe that you can belong to. Other than that, you know, there are a lot of books about trauma that people can read. You know, I just, I'm really big on connection. Okay. I'm really big on connection. So I am relationships. Yeah. I would highly recommend either individual therapy or, or group therapy. Thank you so much. And last thing, where can we shower you with love? Sure, sure. So my email is info at faithjoinercounseling.com. My website is www.faithjoiner.com. I will have some groups coming up. Um, I have some individual sessions coming up as well, probably by the time this is aired. I am not on social media right now. I'm I'm taking a break from that. So um, I'm not posting anything on social media. I'm not on social media right now, but you can definitely stay in touch with me by subscribing to my newsletter. I send out something at least once, twice every month to my subscribers. I have a a podcast called For Love Only Courageous Conversations. And we, I have conversations just like, you know, Bianca and I are having right now 
Um, Bianca was on. Now that was back when it was for wives only, but I still have that episode uploaded. So you can catch me on there. And um, yeah, that's, that's all the places you can find me. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. You have been a wealth of information and just an amazing source of healing. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me, Bianca. Wow. Wasn't that such a good conversation? Like I said, there probably was some triggering things for you. If there was, I really would like you to take some time out, perhaps write the feelings you're experiencing, the body sensations, the thoughts that you have, so that you can really understand what was going on for you. If you are someone who was like, oh my gosh, that is me. I'm glad that this perhaps maybe helped you and set some things free and perhaps gives you some courage to work through your own trauma. As I said, this episode is very triggering um, and has brought up a lot of sensitive subjects and issues. And so as a result, I will put some information in the show notes for you as well as face information, but I will also put some resources in the show notes to kind of help you work through the thoughts and things that may have come up in regards to listening to this episode. So thank you so much again, as always, for listening. As a reminder, please share the episode for those who you feel may need it or just share your comments on Instagram, on social media, perhaps send some emails just so we can hear your voice and know that you're listening. Don't forget to subscribe and please review the podcast. Thank you so much. If you connected with what you just heard, please subscribe, rate and review the podcast. You can stay connected by following our Instagram, Authentic Wednesday Podcast and visiting our website, AuthenticWednesday.com. Remember, authenticity is a journey, not a destination.